0: All right. Well, hey, I like that new song. And you know, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today, this idea of being in the house of God forever. Well, welcome to Horizon. It is good to see you here in the chapel. Thanks for joining us uh, online and out in the tent. And know your eyes do not deceive you, okay? Chad has not gotten slightly younger and terribly more handsome. Um, My name is Ryan Ventura, and I direct the family ministry here. I've been here about six years, and From time to time I get to speak in the uh, exploring service, okay, so we break out the rock music and the kegs of beer and stuff, it's a lot of fun. Um, But every once in a while I get to join you in the the equipping service where we can together nerd out in the Bible. And I mean that in the best possible way, that I love the fact that our church has a service where we go verse by verse, line by line, and even word by word through the Bible. And today hopefully it will be no different. So last week, if you remember, Chad took us through Numbers 26, where we went through the second census, okay? And this is a military census of every man above the age of 20. And if you remember, this is a high-stakes census, right? Like, the numbers here dictate to how much land they are going to get in the promised land, all right? So the pressure is high, and you can't tell me that a couple of the tribes weren't just tempted to, like, fudge the numbers, right? Right? Like Simeon's tribe, like last week we learned about them. You know, he's like, hey, Bob, when you're counting the men above age 20, count the camels, right? Like count the camels because we got to get our number up. (laughs) Uh, Because the inheritance really, really mattered. Not just in the moment, but it was going to matter for generations to come. And, and, you know, today we're going to talk about that concept of inheritance as we go to chapter 27, And we're going to look a little bit at the inheritance, how it was divided then in Israel. But more so, we're going to talk about inheritance for us. Because last I checked, and raise your hand, but none of us are about to get a huge swath of land in the Middle East from Moses, right? Like, I'm not. I don't know if you are. Um, But let me promise you, we all do have an amazing, godly inheritance in front of us. Okay, and today we're going to look at three characteristics of that. That we see here in chapter 27. Um, But I want to set up for us just this inheritance that I'm talking about. And and I know at the kindergarten level, you're like, okay, Ryan, our inheritance is heaven. It's heaven, Ryan. Let's go eat bagels, drink coffee. Heaven. (laughs) And I get that. um, But let's, the Bible talks about heaven all over the place. And and there's this great little um, selection of verses here in 1 Peter that I want to set up our morning with. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And I love what Peter's saying here, that, that heaven, because Jesus died... Okay, he resurrects again. He comes back to life defeating both sin and death once and for all. That because of that, we have a living hope. That our inheritance, yes, it's heaven, but you have a living hope that you are going to live if you know Jesus, if you're a child of God, you are going to live after death. Like that's amazing. I love this living hope. And Peter even gives us some words to think about it. He says, hey, it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade like your spray tan, okay? And it is reserved for you in heaven. Reserved in heaven for you. And those last few words are going to come back to us a lot today, that it is a reserved-for-you inheritance. Um, So let's jump into 27 and see what God has for us here. So we're going to learn about a dad and his daughters, okay? And it says this. It says, Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, and it's going to tell us who Zelophehad's related to. He's related to Hefer and Gilead and Makir and Manasseh. Um, and these were the names of his daughters. Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, our father died in the wilderness. But he was not in the company of those who gathered together Against the Lord in company with Korah. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no son? Give us the possession among our father's brothers. So quick summary, you got Zalafahad, okay, and he has five daughters. He's got a starting basketball team full of daughters. I mean, just imagine. Uh, I'm just going to call him the Fab Five, okay, so I don't have to say all those names over and over again. He's got the Fab Five, but he has no sons. And at that time in the culture, that meant that the inheritance would not be passed down, that the daughters wouldn't get it, okay? And they bring up, hey, he's a good guy. He didn't take part in the rebellions. He didn't fight you. Moses, he just kind of died like we all do. Why should we not have our inheritance? Right, and they bring this up, and I want to make sure we feel where they're at, okay? Because it's easy sometimes to just read something in the Bible and nod and read along. Um, But what I think is underneath this question here for them, because they're not married, so they're younger ladies, they're probably teenagers, maybe the youngest is even a preteen, 10, 11, 12. I think what's under the question here, honestly, is Moses, hey, ask God, does he even care? Like, does he even care that our dad died? Right? Like, we just read the daughters of Zelophehad, and you don't think about the fact that they are trying to grieve the loss of their dad. And I know there's enough of us in the room here who have experienced that, where, like, you have this battle when a loved one passes between your heart and your mind, where your heart wants to grieve. It needs to grieve, but then your brain starts doing the math, right? And there's what I call the wills and the bills that still have to be figured out. And these ladies, they're struggling with the loss of their father, um, but they're also saying, hey, what are we going to do? Right? They're in a predicament. And I think they're asking, hey, God, do you see this? Have you ever been there? We're like, God, do you see the dumpster fire on top of a train wreck that is my life right now? Like, do you see it? Do you even care? And honestly, I think they're feeling kind of like God might not even know them. Like, think of the book of Numbers. It's a whole lot of names and lists, right? And most of them are men. (laughs) Let's just be honest. It'll say, like, Ephraim, 32,500. Well, what if you're not Ephraim? What if you're one of the 32,500? And then what if you're not one of the 32,500, right? Like, these girls aren't even on the census, so I think there's a big part of them saying, like, God, do you care that our dad has died? Do you even see me? And they take this question to Moses, to, to take it to God. And we're going to see what God says here. It says, so Moses brought their case before the Lord. And what's really cool here, gang, is that in the Bible, sometimes if you find something and you're uncertain, the best place to look is somewhere else in the Bible, right? Right? And there's precedent for this very question in the Bible, that in the book of Job, which many scholars think is the earliest book of the Bible ever written, um, this very thing happens where Job has both sons and daughters, and we all know the book of Job, right? He loses everything, Satan strips it from him, God reinstates it all. Well, it ends with Job says he gave them, his beautiful daughters, the same inheritance that he gave his sons. There's a little legal precedent here that I think will inform what God's about to tell us. He says to Moses, he says, The daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. God's saying, Moses, they're right. Okay, the Fab Five have this nailed. This is totally right, Moses. And I love, gang, that it says, surely that God's not having his arm twisted here, right? Like, have you ever taken something back to the store after the return policy, you know, and the guy's looking at you and he's like, well, I'm gonna do you a favor. You know, I know it's past the policy, but you look like you're having a bad day. I'm gonna go ahead and take this back, give you some store credit, right? Like, God's not doing that at all. He's saying, they're right, and I surely... Surely want to give them their inheritance. Right? He knows them by name. He knows who they are. And this is our first characteristic of our godly inheritance today. Is that it is a personal inheritance. It was cute. Last week um, in East Station, we have interns here at our church. And um, they're all awesome. But two of our high school interns, Kristen and Kate, they're in East Station. They're teaching on a stage like this. And they're in Revelation. So they're talking about the uh, book of life, okay? And uh, Kristen's, you know, telling the kids that one day, you know, when you get to heaven, like, your name can be in the book of life, right? Personal salvation. Um, You know, and they're talking. And one of the little kids raises their hand and they say, is my name in the book of life? You know, and Kristen's, like, heart melts. But then she's like, I didn't know what to tell them, right? Because I don't know if your name's in the book of life. And and Kristen said she kind of froze and then Kate jumped in because you always need a team. And Kate was like, well, it can be, right? Like your name can be in the book of life. Like if one day you choose to follow Jesus and accept him in your heart. Um, And it makes me think of this personal inheritance that we have. Um, There's also a step often that we need to take, right? Like a courageous claiming of it. Okay, that our inheritance is personal, but sometimes we need to claim it. And not in like a prosperity gospel, name it and claim it way, right? Like I've tried that for a boat. It's not working. Um, But in a courageous, just take a step. And if you think about these girls, the Fab Five, like think how courageous they are here. Okay, they're all teenagers, maybe younger. And there's a couple million Israelites, right? Three to four. I don't know. I've seen different things. And they're all going through the desert together. And these gals decide, hey, we're going to go to the church, right? We're going to go to the Doors of Horizon, and we're going to demand to talk to the head honcho, (laughs) right? They go, and they demand Moses, and they demand Eliezer, the priest. And then if you remember, they don't say, hey, pretty please, could we have our inheritance? Right? They say, give us our inheritance, And they stand up before everyone. And know this, this wouldn't have been popular, okay? Like all the other Israelites, you know what they wanted out of this uh, land distribution? They wanted as much land as possible. So when they hear the Fab Five being like, hey, this should be fair to us, you know they're all saying, no, the rules, the rules, ladies, say that land passes only to sons. So sorry for your luck. But they courageously, they claim it. And it makes me think of a woman from history, Florence Nightingale. Anybody heard of Florence Nightingale? So she is a courageous, smart woman. She's born in uh, the 1800s. And uh, many folks consider her the mother of modern nursing, okay? And basically, she's born into Europe during a time where the Crimean War is going on, okay? And if you don't know what that is, like research it because it's crazy. It's literally Russia fighting over land that is modern-day Ukraine. So we are literally in the Crimean War 2.0 right now over there. Um, But Florence, she is a nurse, and she will be sent there, and she will discover that of the 18,000 British soldiers who had died, 16,000 of them died from infection that 2,000 of them died from their wounds, and 16,000 of them (laughs) died from gangrene or cholera or some infection that they caught. And she'll discover that the surgical rooms and the hospital rooms are filthy. Okay, they're covered in insects and bugs, and they don't change their linens. They don't change the sheets. There's standing water everywhere. And she's a smart woman, and she figures out that, hey, two and two together, all these people are dying And her team, they just scrub everything. And they sanitize everything. And they order new linens. And uh, amazingly, the the death rate just plummets. Okay, and Florence will go on to become world-renowned. And she'll actually consult us in our country for the Civil War, where she'll consult both sides on how to help soldiers heal. But what you may not know in true Paul Harvey fashion, you know, the rest of the story, um, is that... Florence was born into amazing, amazing wealth. She was an aristocrat. Or if you're a Disney fan, an (laughs) aristocrat. And she is on this trajectory to be classically trained to one day marry into another very wealthy family. And together the families would be this conglomerate of wealth. And that is her destination. Um, Until her teenage years, she starts working with the children in the local villages who are struggling with cholera. And she begins to help, no training whatsoever. And in that moment, she feels like God puts a call on her life. She felt like God was calling her to serve the least of these and to be a, a healer. And you can imagine like, how unpopular this will be, right? Like Imagine you're, you're headed towards wealth and marrying off, and you start turning down marriage proposals, which she would do. And eventually she has this moment where she has to courageously tell her parents that she is going to go to nursing school. And she'll stick to her guns. That's what she'll do. And because of that, she changes history. That, friends, sometimes we have to take a courageous step in our faith, right? And for you, maybe it could be as simple, like a ladies in the room, we have a, a thing coming up at the end of the month called Coffee and Connect. And Horizon is like just big enough that sometimes it, it can be easy to feel lost, right? And to feel like, I don't know anybody yet. Well, well, come to this, ladies. The end of the month, July 31st, it's before every service, after every service, on the second floor up there above the atrium. Drink some coffee, eat some bagels, meet some other ladies. Um, I know that takes a little bit of courage. Or maybe, fellas, it's you. And um, you've never been in a Bible study here at Horizon or a men's group. You know, and you love Horizon, you love Chad, you love the music, you you just love it all. But that idea of like meeting with other guys and talking about the Bible, it's a little scary, right? Well, maybe that's your courageous step. Or a few uh, weeks ago, a group of us, we went down to the Happy Church. So one of our partner organizations in Jackson, Kentucky... And there's about 34, 35 of us, and it was families and their middle school children, okay? So things were crazy. I mean, just imagine like 20 middle schoolers and then moms and dads. And, um, but what I love is, is that these families, they chose to take this courageous claiming of the inheritance in front of them, this personal inheritance, and they said, hey, we're going to leave the comforts of home, our nice pillow top mattresses, and we are going to go sleep on a cement floor in a gym, and the middle schoolers that's Bell Thorball there. Good job, Bell. I't Bell's not over there, but um, Bell is swinging a pickaxe, and that was impressive. okay little uh, 12, 13, 14 year old ladies are pickaxing their way, and we dug trenches, we moved gravel um, We my, okay, so the best part is my son got to feed a pig with a slop bucket. <laughs> okay, we don't do that in Anderson Township. He had to put on boots, pull them up to his knees in this big disgusting bucket, and he wades in. and So it was awesome. And my point here is that, man, sometimes to get to the good stuff, right, to lay claim of what God's doing in our life, it takes a little bit of courage. And, and friends, I wonder what that might be for you. Well, let's continue the story here. God has told Moses what to do, but now he's going to put it into law. It says, And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. It, it. Basically, this is going to become law. And what I love about this is that family is the conduit of God's blessing, right? Which is pretty cool. Um, but what I want to think about here is like, it's still very like, Male dominated, right? Like it's like it starts with a brother, then it goes a sister, okay, and then it's all men, 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 right? Like is God chauvinistic? Does he doesn't think the ladies can handle the inheritance? Like what's going on here? I think it's important we ask these questions. Um, Well, first off, like I think the answer to that is no, or else we wouldn't see in Job, where Job gives his inheritance to his sons and his daughters, we wouldn't see God a few verses earlier saying, Surely give the Fab Five their inheritance. Um, So I don't think it's that so what's going on here? Um, Well, let me let me help you at least give you the way I understand this Okay, so imagine the promised land. It's this big circle in front of me here Okay, and imagine the Venturas, my family We're back there with the Israelites and we get this little allotment of land. Okay, we'll make it right here Okay, well the way that law reads we have four children. We have two daughters and we have two sons the girls are actually older well, the way the law reads there from God is that Jack, our 12-year-old, he would get a double portion of our land. So he would get two-thirds of our land. Okay, so Jack owns this. And then Finn, our seven-year-old, our youngest, he would get the other third. Okay, and there's some wisdom here, and the oldest getting two-thirds, and the youngest getting one-third in case they fight, and blah, 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 that at least the majority of the land still stays with my family. Um, but God's intention was that the land would just be passed from generation to generation within the family. So why not just divide it up equally, right? Like that would be the fairest way, the most equitable. Um, Well, imagine if Lily, our oldest, she gets 25%. Sydney gets 25%. Jack gets 25%. Finley gets 25%. Everybody's happy, right? Yay! Okay, what happens though when Lily... Okay, Lily meets one of those hoven boys over here, okay, and they fall in love, and they get married, and now the hoven boy, he's got his land over here, and Lily's little chunk over here is is technically Ventura land, but now she's a hoven, and and do they live here, and do they rent this out? I mean, what happens? It gets a little muddy, okay. And then imagine Sydney. She meets one of those Thorwall boys, and they're crazy, okay. And she falls in love with one of them, and they get married. And all of a sudden, the Thorwall lands up here. You know, they they own that, but now they own a little bit of the Ventura lands that God intended to be passed from Ventura to Ventura, and it just gets muddy and it gets complicated. So my best understanding of this is that this is just the simplest way. To do the very best to ensure that the land passed within a family from generation to generation. So that brings me to the the second characteristic of God's inheritance in our life. And it's that it's eternal. And friends, here the chapter is going to turn on a dime. It's going to go from talking about the Fab Five to talking about Moses and the end of his story. The Lord says to Moses, Go up into Mount Abiram and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you shall also be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hollow me at the water before their eyes. So here God is saying to Moses, in very eloquent God speak, okay, God's very poetic, He's saying, Hey, you're going to be gathered to your people (laughs) he's really saying hey Moses you're going to die okay you're going to go up on the mountain in my love I'm going to let you see the promised land um, but you're not ever going to get to enter it like just imagine like I've struggled with this like think about it okay you run a marathon you run 26 miles you're 0.2 away from the end Right? You're like, get there, and you, you, you're, you can see the finish line. And, and some race organizer steps out, and he's like, hey, over here. And you're like, oh, you know, you're here. And he's like, hey, hey, pretty good job on the marathon so far. Oh, thanks. I'm about to die. This is great. Right? And, and he's like, you see the finish line? Yeah, yeah, I see it. I just can't wait. I see the water. I see the fruit. I see celebrations. I'm going to Snapchat this. This is going to be amazing. And it, yeah, you're not going to make it there. What? Right? Like, and I know Moses has been told this already, but it's like, how crazy. And, and it's, it's kind of bitter medicine in some ways, right? And it's amazing how Moses responds, right? Like, Neil uh, hit this in his, uh, during the worship time that Moses' response is crazy. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like the sheep which have no shepherd. So Moses hears that he's going to die, he's never going to make it to the promised land, and he starts succession planning. Like, that's crazy. Imagine you go into work, your boss fires you, and you're like, hey, you know what, Bill, he would be great in my position. <laughs> right? like, this is what Moses is doing. Like, how is he so chill? That's what all the cool kids are saying right now, in case you want to add that to your vernacular. How is he so chill? I would be fighting, I would be bargaining, I would be angry. Well, I think comically, I think he's so chill because he's just exhausted, Right? Like, I've done 12 hours in a van with my four whiny kids, and and I heard, are we there yet a million times, right? And by the end of it, you just need another vacation without your kids. Well, Moses has been on a 40-year journey with four million whiny children. I mean, imagine how many times he heard, are we there yet? I think he's just ready to cash in his chips. He's like, you know what, God, heaven sounds pretty good. Let's let's do it. I think he's exhausted. Uh, But probably more biblically speaking, friends, I think Moses right now, that that he knows that the inheritance in front of him, that the the real inheritance, the real prize, the real pot of gold, that it's an eternal inheritance, okay? And he's choosing to focus on it. He's saying, hey, if I can focus on this eternal inheritance, then I can withstand my my disappointment right now that I'm not going to make it to this earthly promised land. And I wonder, I wonder for me, like, am I convinced of that? Like, am I convinced that the very best that this world has to offer me, right, whatever that is, that it pales in comparison to even my limited understanding of what God has planned for me in heaven? Like, am I convinced that the life for me, okay, the life of Tom Brady, right, like, Hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't, eight, nine Super Bowls. I don't know how many he's won. Somehow he keeps getting more and more handsome as he ages. Like, that's not happening here. Um, I don't, I just, man, that would be amazing, right? Tom Brady's life. Like, am I convinced that that pales in comparison? It's garbage if it doesn't come with an eternal inheritance. Or, ladies, are you convinced that Giselle, Tom's wife, okay? Yeah, think of Giselle. She's a supermodel. Apart from Tom, she was already worth millions of dollars. She didn't need old Tom, but she's married to Tom Brady. They have beautiful children. They have multiple homes all over the world. They have nannies. Like, ladies, are you convinced that Giselle's life, that it pales in comparison to the eternal inheritance that God has planned for you? Man, are we we convinced of that? And I know it gets easier the older we get. Right, like that's what I would say is it's like, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. It's, it's pretty, pretty tempting here, you know. But you know somebody that's dying. You know what they focus on? This stuff they could care less about, right? They're like that stuff didn't even matter. Like I, I it's a great privilege, but it's also just illuminating to be able to walk with people here at Horizon in the end of their life and to be able to see how their focus just shifts in an instant from this to this. Like, ah, oh, that stuff, it's nice. I had to pay the bills. I had to live somewhere. But oh my goodness, this is the thing I'm looking forward to. Paul says it a lot better than I will. In 1 Corinthians, he says, for if the dead... Do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Friends, I love the word in there we have hope. And I guess the question that this begs me to answer is like, where am I putting my hope? Like, is my hope in this stuff here, like the earthly promised land, whatever that looks like for you? Maybe it's a bigger house, bigger job, kids that actually listen to you, (laughs) because my kids don't. Um, Or is my hope over here in this inheritance that's undefiled, it's incorruptible, It doesn't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for me, this living hope. You know, a great story is told about a pastor, okay, and um, he's meeting with a a saint in his church, one of his elderly saints. We're going to call her Ethel, all right? And he's meeting with Ethel, all right, and they're planning out Ethel's funeral, which sounds morbid. But we actually do that quite a bit. You meet with somebody, you pick the music, you pick the scripture, you pick the stories, you know. And um, he's meeting with Ethel and they're talking. um, And he's like, you know, Ethel, I think that's it. Like, is there anything else that you can think of that, like, you want to be a part of your funeral? You know, and Ethel, she's like, well, oh, I totally forgot like, this is the most important thing, pastor. You know, he's like, all right. You know, he's got his pen. He's taking notes. She's like, when, when you put me in the coffin, you know, and they're all going to see me, um, I want you to put a fork, put a fork in my right hand. You know, and he's thinking, Ethel has lost it. <laughs> Why am I going to put a fork in your right hand, Ethel? Um, but he wants to honor her wishes. But also he's going to be the joker who has to explain this at the funeral. <laughs> so he's like, Ethel, help me understand. Why do you want a fork in your right hand? And she said, well, pastor, you know, all of the amazing potluck dinners that we have at this church, right? Like we've had some amazing ones over the last 30 years where there's been fried chicken and meatloaf and mashed potatoes. You know, that when those dinners end and they start pulling off the plates from the entree, me and my friends, we all look at each other and we say, hold on to your fork. Hold on to your fork because the best is yet to come. And then all the amazing desserts start coming out, the homemade pies and the made-from-scratch cakes and those amazing cookies. And she said, Pastor, the thing that I want everyone to hear at my funeral is that I am going to the other side thinking the best is yet to come. And I love that mindset, but I don't know if I have it quite yet. Well, our third characteristic, again, we've had it's a personal inheritance. We can claim it. It's an internal inheritance. We can focus on it. Our third one is that it's a foretold inheritance. And the Lord said to Moses, he said, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him. That all the congregation of the chir- children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eliezer the priest. Who shall inquire before the Lord for him. By the judgment of the Urim. So let's stop there for a second. We'll jump back in. okay? Because we do go verse by verse. Line by line. And word by word. What in the world is a Urim? <laughs> you see that word? Like. I had never read that before. I'm like reading this, you know, a while back. And I'm like, of course, I called Chad immediately. And I'm like, Chad, what is a Urim? Like, help me out here. Uh, Well, a Urim, and again, it's there. So I think we need to explain it. Uh, A Urim is mentioned twice in the Old Testament. And most biblical scholars think it was part of the priest's vestment. Okay, and it it was... sort of like the jewels on there. And they don't know exactly what would happen, but somehow they would either glow, they would move. Somehow this was this way that God would affirm to the people what Moses or Eliezer or the high priest was saying. So think like casting lots, um, putting out a fleece, um, that God knew that the people's faith was weak and, and that they would need just a little more of a nudge that like, no, Moses is telling the truth. Look at the Urim, Okay. So that's what the Urim is. It's in there twice. We never see it in the New Testament. Um, We think it's more descriptive than prescriptive. Like we're not going to break out the Urims here to see if Chad's telling the truth or not um, in the future. But that's what that is, in case you're wondering. And, And he goes on with the inauguration. It says, At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him. All the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord God commanded by the hand of Moses. So God here is giving the Israelites the, the leader they're going to need to get into the promised land. And where Moses has failed, Joshua will succeed, but only in a limited way, right? Because Joshua is only a man. And certainly he would fail over and over again. Um, But what I love about this, friends, and why I call this a foretold inheritance is um, the fact that over and over and over again in the Old Testament, we see forerunners for Jesus, right? Like we see the shadow of Jesus. We see his fingerprints all over everything. It's the coming attractions. And if you think of numbers, think of this. Okay, Jesus says, hey, I am the bread of life. How do they eat manna from heaven? (laughs) Jesus says, hey, I am the living water. Okay, when they're thirsty and they're quenched for thirst in the middle of the wilderness and they have nothing, you know what breaks open to give them water? The rock. Symbolism nailed, right? Um, Jesus says, hey, I am the light of the world. And at night, what are they led by? They're led by a pillar of fire. That, friends, this inheritance has been foretold from the very beginning. And you know what that helps me do? That helps me trust it. Right? Like Because I see it all over the Old Testament. It's, it's everywhere. So it helps me trust it. And you want to know what's really cool? Okay, because that, that was pretty cool. But this is going to be really cool. All right? Joshua. The name Joshua. You want to know what that is in Hebrew? I even conferred with Drew because he knows Hebrew. It is Yeshua. Okay, and you don't want to know what Yeshua gets translated into the uh, Greek in the New Testament? Jesus. Of course, right? Like, so literally God has Jesus, <laughs> Yeshua, bring the Israelites into the promised land way back then. And now God has Jesus, Yeshua, as our way, as our gate, as our path to the promised land. Eventually, like holy cow. Like if that doesn't help you trust the fact that there's an eternal amazing inheritance in front of you, then I don't know what will. Like that just blows my mind. Makes me feel a little better about Moses not getting there. Because God knew it had to be Joshua. Because it's got to be Jesus. Crazy. So friends, I don't know what wilderness you're in right now. Right? Because I think probably if we went around the room, we're all probably all in some sort of wilderness. Maybe you're in a a wilderness of uh, health where you've gotten just bad news and it's hard. Maybe you're in a wilderness of grief where you've, you've lost somebody. And I've been there, I've been there a lot and it's it's very hard. Maybe you're just in a wilderness of transition like Moses and Joshua where things are just up in the air in your life and you're just not quite sure. But i encourage you to think through today and, and, and lay claim to one of these characteristics like do you need to hold on to the fact that this inheritance it's a personal inheritance and God sees you he sees your pain he feels it and he wants you to lay claim to the inheritance the best is yet to come way of thinking or maybe for you you need to remember that this is an internal inheritance And if you can focus on the eternal part of it, it'll make the wilderness part of it where life isn't always so easy. It'll make it a little easier. It'll help you deal with the disappointments like Moses dealt with. Or maybe you just need to be reminded that it's a foretold inheritance. That you can put your faith in it. You can take it to the bank. But either way, I just want to remind you that the best is yet to come. Right? Like that's the hallmark of the Christian faith is that the, the best promised land is on the other side of the river. Right? The best is yet to come. Let me pray for us. God, I just thank you for your word. I just admit I would have been one of those knucklehead Israelites that have probably taken part in rebellions and doubting you and complaining about the lack of meat. And I just thank you that you're so gracious. Thank you that you know us by name. Thank you that you have an eternal home prepared for us. And just thank you that we can trust in that, that it's been the plan all along. In your precious name, amen. Well, friends, thanks for joining us today at Horizon. Um, Final words here. So we have a thing coming up in August that is amazing. Okay, it is called Family Fun Night. And we had this last year. About 1,000 people came. We do food trucks. We do inflatables for the kids. We had a pitching contest where we were hitting golf balls into a floating green on the pond. Um, It is amazing. It is August 13th. You can sign up for that on our Horizon website. That just lets us know how much food we need to have. But we'd love to see you there as well. So have a great day.